and the purple was absolutely rolling in 2012. Welcome to College and Kimball, boys and girls. This is going to be a fun one. I am your host, Jeff Burkhardt, joined as always by Justin Nutter, Alex Speth, and Clint Wilson. You can find all of us on Twitter. If you want to give our account a follow, go to college underscore Kimball. Please do give us a follow there, and you'll also find our individual individual Twitter handles linked out on that page as well. If this is your first time joining us, we greatly appreciate it. Looking forward to hopefully having you back here. If you are a repeat offender, we know you must love your cats. Uh, these have been a, a great deal of fun to put together, and we, we greatly appreciate the feedback we've received from our listening base. I know uh, we're small right now, but guys, we, we do appreciate you guys taking the time out to give us a listen, to, to retweet, to do anything you can just to kind of publicize the show and get it out there. Uh, again, we, we love the K-State football uh, fan Twitter community. Uh, we love interacting with you guys. And that being said, please do, if you have any takes on any of our episodes, any thoughts on the upcoming season, the guys by all means, reach out to us on Twitter. We're here for all of it. So we, we would love to interact with you guys. And with that being said, uh, I don't want to waste a whole lot of time here on the housekeeping side of things because we've got a great season to discuss here uh, on this installment of College and Kimball. We're obviously talking about the 2012 Big 12 champion Cats. And before we, we dive into that season, we'll kind of set the table here. The 2011 Cats finished 10-3 and overall appearance in the Cotton Bowl. Cats finished tied for second in the Big 12 that season with Oklahoma. Oklahoma State, obviously your conference champion in 2011. And preseason expectations for this group are are very high and justifiably so a lot of returning personnel on both sides of the ball you look offensively colin klein coming back for his senior year john hubert going into his junior year tremaine thompson chris harper on the wide receiver group travis Tannehill going into his senior year at tight end and then on the offensive line front bj finney nick pitts uh tavon rooks Cornelius Lucas, Keenan Taylor, a lot of big names coming back on that side as well. Defensively, a couple of holes to fill, namely Emmanuel Lemire, uh, Tyson Hartman also departing, and David Garrett. So a couple of pretty big names on the defensive side that depart. Those are three of your top four tacklers from the season prior. But I think we all know in the back of our mind this group is going to be anchored by Arthur Brown, so there's not a great deal of concern on that front, you have Trey Walker coming back after getting some pretty significant snaps as a freshman. Uh, Jarrell Childs at linebacker. Justin Tuggle, another big name in that linebacker DN hybrid role. And, and then in the secondary, a group that's about as solid as you can possibly ask for. Nigel Malone and Alan Chapman holding things down on your corner positions. Ty Zimmerman calling the shots from the back end and his safety role. And then Jared Milo ends up stepping in to fill the void left by Tyson Hartman. Uh, as far as your nickel goes, K-State ends up finding a pretty solid option there in Randall Evans. So a lot of great individual players on this roster, a lot of future NFL talent on this roster. And this is a pretty senior heavy group. There's the, there's a lot of upperclassmen in the two deep. And to that point, Clint, when we, when we do talk about recruiting that, that really ties back into the juke, the, the, the class from 2011 and 2010, a lot of Juco hits within those classes 
and unfortunately, though, when we look at 2012, a pretty, pretty sparse group in terms of the number of guys who ended up working out for K-State. The 2012 class was bad. As good as the 2011 class was good, the 12 class was just as bad. Uh, they did get Travis Britz, pretty good defensive tackle. Deontay Burton, still playing in the NFL, although with a position change. And a couple of players who definitely had an impact, Charles Jones, Donnie Starks, a couple of uh, Juco guys, Tavon Rooks, Shaq Reed, and that is just about it right there as far as hits. Yeah, pretty lean group here. Uh, and honestly, though, when you cons- when you put that into the context of thinking what this group would still manage to achieve, not just this season, but the preceding seasons, kind of remarkable, uh, especially some of the personnel losses that happened following 2012, because this is a very senior heavy group. And uh, when we when we talk about expectations for this team going into the season, if you're if you're looking back at your Athlons and your Lindy's and your Phil Steele's, uh, they they weren't particularly high on this team. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Obviously, K-State in one score games the prior season, you're going eight and one. Very hard to replicate that type of success in tight ball games. And the other factor in this too, some of the road tilts and when you start looking at the schedule, Justin, um, you have to go to Oklahoma, you have to go to West Virginia, and this is a West Virginia team that's coming in to the Big 12 Conference for the uh, for their first season, uh, fresh off of a, a, just a, a destruction, dropping a bank vault on Clemson in the Orange Bowl, and everybody's very high on Geno Smith, Tavon Austin, a lot of big-time weapons for that West Virginia squad. So with that all being said, Justin, what were your thoughts and feelings going into 2012? I think like most of us, this is a year where emotionally you, you kind of load up because you know, you got all the pieces in place to make a pretty big run. Yeah. Um, and just to add to that road slate, you mentioned, you can't, you can't, you can never discount Ames, you know, weird shit happens in Ames all the time. They just (laughs) wrapped up the previous season by, uh, kind of dashing Oklahoma state's national championship hopes, you know, just, it always seems like they're good for one massive upset somewhere at home. So can't write them off either. But yeah, I mean, obviously expectations going into this year were sky high. You know, we had kind of caught everybody by surprise the year before. We're going to get everybody's best shot this year. But I mean, you're, you're, you're veteran pretty well uh, up and down the two deep. Um, and you got, you got a name opponent, name opponent coming to the bill in, uh, in Miami, you know, pretty much right out of the gate. So, yeah, I mean, I think the excitement was as high as we've seen at any point in in Bill's second tenure. And that's a, that's a good point to kind of transition to the 2012 season. So we, we kicked things off uh, with a game against Missouri State, uh, which was pretty actually competitive through about two and a half quarters. It was only 23 to nine. And then K-State uh, drops the 35 spot on them in the fourth quarter. So that game looks a lot more one-sided, but that was a game still where Missouri State was a little bit more competitive. And and I don't think that really skewed anybody's thoughts and the trajectory of the team on that front. And, and with that being said, again, no injuries. K-State takes care of business, wins very handily. So we move next to uh, Miami. So Cats are hosting another P5 school, uh, and we're thinking back to the big upset that had occurred down in uh, 
the uh, in pro player whatever stadium again that happened the year before and Miami's coming up uh, to Manhattan so now Alex uh, I'll say I'll ask you this did that game the outcome of that Miami game a game in which K-State blows the Hurricanes out of the water 52 to 13 did that move the meter for you in terms of thinking is this the season's going to be good or is the season going to be special uh, for me, I was already pretty excited coming in this year. I thought we were underranked. I understood the, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, all the close games we had the year before could have gone either way. Uh, the big question for me was how how much better does our defense get? Because uh, the previous year we had a good opportunistic defense, but we we still allowed a lot of yards and a lot of points in some games. But I was pretty confident going in. If anything, uh, it made me even more excited, more confident that this was going to be a good year and kind of just felt like it, it was kind of announcing it to the rest of college football. Like we're, we're for real this year, this year. Very valid point. And I I think back, I I remember, and I'm sure a lot of just general college football fans who listen to us, you think about all those preseason classics where Alabama takes on, you know, Michigan or, uh, takes on Michigan or USC down in Jerry world or whatnot. And then Alabama just beats the brakes off of them 52 to six or whatever the score ends up being. And you kind of see that, Oh man, like this is what they're doing to a a really respectable team. That's probably going to finish in in the top, top 20, top 15, you know, that's kind of the warning shot. The tide's going to be obviously a force to be reckoned with. And and, in the same breath, while when we look back at what this game meant, just to K-State, I think the Big 12, though, as a collective, there was a little bit of a perception hit uh, just with the the departure of Mizzou and Texas A&M now formally moving to the SEC. This is their first year in the SEC. The Big 12 formally adding West Virginia and TCU to the slate. There, there's a little bit of a, a stigma about how good the Big 12 really is. What does this game really mean? And, and I, I think... K-State still going out and doing what it did to Miami. And this wasn't a great Miami squad. Again, Al Golden was kind of put in a pretty compromised position, having to wait through, you know, potential NCAA allegations and all this stuff. But this was still a very notable win and one that I look back on and think as just what you said, Alex, that's kind of a warning shot to the rest of college football, that this is going to be a good squad. And, and K-State hammers Miami 52 to 13, and it was 52 to six pretty late. Miami got a garbage time touchdown, and that actually prevented what could have been at that point in time, the worst road loss in program history. It would have been very cool to have that on Snyder's little list of achievements there. Unfortunately, it doesn't come to fruition, but still, K-State has a 39-point victory over the Canes. The Cats are 21 uh, going into that game, and obviously no no, no concern about dropping in the polls. And this was also a game, K-State very balanced offensively, 288 on the ground, 210 through the air, pretty <laughs> remarkably efficient through the air, only 11 pass attempts on the day. So you get, uh, you know, pretty good, percentage of your yards obviously on those completions so Colin going 9 of 11 uh, hitting Curry Sexton for a touchdown but a a lot of this game this was also Colin's kind of I I don't want to call it the coming out party but again when you have this type of a stage uh, I I think it's it's worth mentioning when when your your senior quarterback goes out and 
throws for 200 and rushes for three touchdowns the way that Colin did. I, I think that's one of those games where you start to think, okay, maybe does Colin start to creep into the Heisman conversation? It's still very early in the season. A lot of things still left to take shape, but um, I, I think that's something that was worth mentioning at, at that point in time. Now we, we move next to a, a game that's pretty uh, <laughs> largely forgotten in the, in the context of the season. This is a 35 to 21 win over North Texas uh, UNT coached by Dan McCartney, uh, again, or McCartney, excuse me, uh, formerly of Iowa State and K-State. Again, you're going to have that emotional letdown following a pretty big emotional uh, win over a name program like Miami. So the group maybe not quite as up for it, but they still take care of business. They go to three and O on the season. They beat uh, North Texas. And, and again, uh, we're going through these a little bit quicker than we normally do. And I think this also speaks to what we saw from this team this season. Um, when you look back at 2011, obviously this, this group was kind of in that, you know, if you're thinking, I think about it like Pokemon, you're in the middle stage. You're not quite your fun, your finished product. You're getting toward that end. And that's where that group was in 2011. And that being said, there, there were so many close games that hinged on so many little moments and plays here and there. This group, again, was very workmanlike in how they handled everything, which is why I think we're, we're going to go through these games a little bit quicker and talk about them in broader context. So I think we all knew that this group was going to start 3-0. That I don't think that was ever really a concern. Uh, and it was all kind of leading up to this big showdown with Oklahoma. So with that being said, guys, um, Oklahoma has ruled the conference for what seems like the better part of a decade. And going on the road, this was also Oklahoma in the midst of a, not a, they had lost a home game the season prior, but this uh, going and trying to beat OU in Norman was still viewed as a very monumental task and one I don't think many people thought K-State was up to. But with that being said, Clint, I'll, I'll go to you. I know you're eternal optimist here. Did you feel like K-State was going to need a bunch of breaks to get that win down in Norman, or did you feel like that was a game where K-State could go toe-to-toe with the Sooners and just by their own merits find a way to win? Uh, Bob Stoops versus Bill Snyder was 7-1 and one at this point. Uh, I probably felt like this was the game that K-State would lose during the season, uh, especially after the previous year's showing. Um, if there was... One game that I was not super optimistic about, it would be this, this one for sure. Um, K-State played a great game, but like you said, definitely needed a few breaks to get the victory. And when you look back at it, too, this um, this does end up being K-State's first road win in Norman since 1997. Uh it was their first regular season win over Oklahoma since that time as well. So it's, it's been a few years and that was, it was kind of weird the way that was all juxtaposed because you have K-State, Bill Snyder, Oklahoma was kind of the first big, big hurdle that he cleared as coach in his one Oh era. And he reeled off five straight against the Sooners. Now, granted, this is not like Barry Switzer led Oklahoma. That's Howard Schnellenberger, uh, John Blake. Those are not the greatest Oklahoma squads, but still K-State clearing that Oklahoma hurdle. And then Bob Stoops comes in and Bob really has Bill's number pretty much throughout the, the latter part of the Snyder one Oh, 10 years. So 
that that was a pretty noteworthy talking point that you bring up there, Clint. But K-State, as as we said, does find a way to win this game 24 to 19. And and I, I bring up that I raised that question about did you feel like K-State could do this without needing a ton of breaks? And I think we got our answer, though, in this game because K-State needed got a fumble recovery touchdown for Jarrell Childs. You had a Blake Bell fumble, Oklahoma going in for a score, and then you had a Ty Zim pick in Sooner territory. You got really, you needed all those breaks when when it gets right down to it because this was a game in which the outcome was decided by less than a score. It was 24 to 19, but... K-State does find a way to kind of pull away in the second uh, in the second half and late they they get up in this one uh, 24 to 13. And I think at that point, we're feeling pretty comfortable about K-State managing to finish this one off. And I want to ask the group just as a collective here. This is kind of one of those games. This is a a seminal moment in in program history. K-State does not beat Oklahoma often. Um, I I was looking through Phil Steele, and it was just kind of a a funny stat because Phil will deep dive everything. Oklahoma was 62-8 and versus Kansas State uh, since 1935. I don't know why 1935 was that cutoff threshold, but still that's 62 down and only eight up. So this was a pretty monumental happening. What were you guys, I, I want to ask, and, and Nutter will we'll lead off with you. What do you? What were you doing that day? Where were you watching the game? What do you remember? Because I think that, that's always kind of fun to, to reminisce because I'm one of those people. I remember where I am for those big moments. Sure. <clears throat> I was actually uh, at a friend's house in Topeka, and he is a K-State grad, but a pretty big Texas fan. So... Obviously, we both had some vested interest here. Um, you know, him more just in Oklahoma losing. But uh, yeah, I think that the the thing that can't be that can't be overlooked here is it seems like, and every time since even we've beaten Oklahoma, it's been like an out of the blue, massive, no one in the world saw it coming upset. This is the first time I think since the 2003 Big 12 championship that. We went in like with realistic expectations to win and actually proved we were up to the task. Um, I think, you know, you had asked, it might have been before we started recording, you had asked, you know, is this the biggest win in in uh, Snyder 2-0? And I think given the stakes and the fact that like we knew we were a, you know, nationally relevant team this year, the fact that we went in and proved it. Whereas, you know, in the past we hadn't necessarily done that specifically against Oklahoma. I think that's what makes this that's what makes this one stick out to me. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, it's funny thinking about what I was doing while watching this game. I usually have a pretty good memory of like where I was and just kind of my per- perspective. But I I remember a lot about the game, but I don't remember where I was. I was probably just at my apartment but i'm not sure um i think uh going into the game it's one of those games even though i'm usually a pessimist you know you kind of you 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 lie to yourself saying we have a shot we have a shot and it's one of those games where you lie to yourself enough that you go into it and then something good happens right away that you just keep going you know like you know sometimes you're like oh we have a shot we have a shot and then you know you go down 21 nothing you're like bullshit i was way off on that but this was one of those games like from the beginning just how we were playing and how the game was going I always felt pretty good about it um which is 
very odd for me. So that's what I remember. I was thinking this whole time that I was working um, during uh, doing my weekend shift at the at Faith Furniture, loading up furniture in people's back of their trucks. But I was just looking up the game time, and it says 7.50 p.m. So I guess I don't remember where I was during this game. <laughs> we were so um, into the game. No one remembers their surroundings. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree that this is the biggest win of Snyder 2-0. Uh, I think the only other argument uh, is the Bailey game, the previous season, just as far as starting everything off. There's been a few games that uh, meant a lot uh, individually, but probably didn't impact the season as much as this game did. Uh, this is definitely my vote for best and most important win. I wanted to throw one I, thing out there. I know Bill always really liked to play up, you know, the Nebraska rivalry and obviously the KU rivalry. But I think this one meant quite a bit to him. And something I remember, just a comment he had made in a press conference, there was a play late in the second half, and I don't remember if it was a scoring drive or just a drive we needed to keep alive to kill clock. But we had a third and, like, medium to long that we desperately needed to convert. And we checked out of whatever we were going to run, and Colin hit Travis Tannehill on, like, a rollout to the right where there was no one on that side of the field, basically, and Bill referenced it after the game and said it was something he had remembered from the 2000 Big 12 championship where they had a similar situation against Bob. The fact that that stuck with Bill to the point that he remembered it standing on the sideline 12 years later, I think this one meant a lot to Bill. Was that the play uh, he kind of underthrew Tannehill and he had to kind of drop for it? If he caught I it. can't say I remember that. I just remember being like, holy shit, we threw to a tight end in a clutch spot, right? That, I mean, that's kind of what I took away from it in the moment. But the fact that he was able to reference something, like I said, in real time in a high-pressure situation to be like, wait a minute, we should have done this against them 12 years ago, you know, on the first end of my retirement. The fact that he could pull that out of his back pocket, I really think this game probably meant as much to Bill as anyone he probably had. Yeah, I think you'd be very hard pressed to say it didn't. <laughs> um, the the and you talk about clutch passing. I, I very very clearly remember on uh, critical third down late in the game. So this is after Oklahoma scored the miss on the two point conversion. So K State's got ball. It's really just it, it's not cutting time. You gotta gotta move the sticks. And all K State really needed, I, I believe, based off the time Oklahoma had scored with. Uh, four minutes, nine seconds left. And so you're probably at the point where you're thinking one first down, you're in a, you're in a decent spot, two first downs, you got it in the bag. And Tremaine Thompson on a little drag route and a very, very great completion to him. He ends up getting a first down on a critical third nine. K-State moves the sticks and then uh, gets a, yet another first down with the Colin Klein keeper later on in that possession. Just very uh, kind of one of those things where we pivot back and look at 2011, very reminiscent of what we saw from that group in that season where 
whatever unit you needed to rely on was going to come through and make the play. And that's exactly what happened in this game. And, and again, not a banner day for Colin uh, as far as numbers go, 13 of 21. So hits 62% of his throws, no touchdowns, but also no picks, takes good care of the ball. Uh, but uh, this was really John Hubert and the offensive line deserve a lot of credit for this one. Hubert had himself a solid day, 130 yards, one touchdown. That was the one that put K-State up 24 to 30. 13 late in the fourth quarter where I think we all were feeling like this was going to happen. And, and this was, I, I will say from my memory, I, and I very, again, I'm weird, very vividly recall what, what I was doing. It was uh, my wife's best friend uh, was getting married that day. We were at a wedding reception at the Fox in Hayes, America. And thanks. And I was watching this game on a little monitor that was, if I had to guess, it was probably about 16 inches. It was tiny. And I've just like, again, I'm really not present at our uh, our dinner table, but she was a, uh, uh, she was in the wedding party. So I did not have to worry about, being present there so i spent a lot of my time at the bar that day and uh as as the game is progressing uh just more and more feeling like it's gonna happen and that was just such an awesome moment and then uh as we get that last colin gets that last first down to ice it i ordered a double whiskey got the and then i was told it was going to be 22 bucks but i didn't care paid it and was on my (laughs) merry way and the celebration was on k-state moves to 4-0, and this this is when it started to click for me that this year was going to be special. I don't know, and I'll ask the group, was this the game for you that made you believe it was going to be a big season, or did it occur later on? I feel, Alex, go ahead. Uh, well, actually, you mentioned that play to Tremaine Thompson, that little drag route on a, on a big third down. Uh, Clint can verify this. We talked about this play a couple months ago when we were talking about doing this podcast and uh, I, I said, one of my favorite Tremaine Thompson plays is, you know, he's, he had a, a pretty good career and uh, he's, he's one of my favorites. And I said, I was like, you remember that third down against Oklahoma? It wasn't the most spectacular play, but the pass was a little behind him. He had to yep. turn running away to catch it and then dive out of bounds in front of the marker. <clears throat> and to me, that told me, like, that was not an easy gimme play, and we still had guys out there completing those plays in big... How many times... we watch football our whole lives, and how many comeback attempts... It's like, you get one first down, and the game's pretty much over, and teams just shit themselves, and they can't make a fairly easy play, then they punt it, and then the other... You know, given, given the other team life. And I felt like that play signified to me, like, we're making the plays we need to to, to win games. And I think uh, it was a simple play, but it's always one I've I've remembered. And I think uh, just making those types of plays got me excited thinking, like, the year before, I feel like there was a lot of luck involved. I was like, this year, it's just we're winners, and we're going to go play football and win some games. Real quick, Alex, you just mentioned, you know, coming up clutch on third down. I actually pulled up the highlight because I couldn't convince myself of the situation I know some diehard is going to tell me I was wrong. The uh, play to Tannehill was not a third down conversion. It was to start a drive, I think, right after Oklahoma had scored to cut it to four points. And uh, we hit him on that rollout and broke it for about 21 yards. So uh, that actually jump-started another touchdown drive, the one that put us up 10 points. So 
wanted to correct myself before someone else jumps down my throat. Did you look at the video on that play? I yeah, I have it up right now. Yeah. That Daniel trucks somebody on that play. Like a flag route that he a little underthrown, but he made a nice catch on it. Yeah, a little bit. He didn't have to like he didn't have to stop or anything, but it was definitely behind him. But the, you know, again, that's another one. It's not the perfect pass to him, but like that and the Tremaine play, it's like you know typical college football players you would forgive them for not making those catches and we got guys out there like nope i'm catching this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i just want to echo that about tremaine thompson um i think at least i look back and think about tremaine thinking that he was a good quality player but man he really pops in a lot of these highlight videos he had such a big catch radius for being a smaller guy and for him to be probably our third receiver on that team there was a lot of talent but as far as when I thought this season was going to be special, it was probably the Miami uh, game. I mean, it was kind of a throwback to beating Cal and Iowa so badly back in the early 2000s. Uh, you know, that's just yes. not what K-State does a lot in Snyder 2.0 or now. They let teams hang around. But the great K-State teams will destroy the bad teams, even if they're the Power 5 level. Jeff, you mentioned... Uh... Miami scored a late touchdown to keep that from being their worst, would you say, worst road loss in program history? Mm-hmm. Um, I also would be remiss if I didn't mention the uh, behind-the-back jump pass quintessential what-the-hell play of Snyder's second tenure. So had to work that in somewhere. Oh, man, that was awesome. That would have worked. We'd still be talking about that every single oh, day. Oh, yeah. And about it's a, the, it's and the play I think of every time I think about that game. The play I, that had no bearing on anything. I had season tickets that year and I had actually, I had gone to the bathroom uh, for a hot second and God loves Stan Weber. He is trying so hard to sell. Well, the execution was off and the defensive end got his hand on the ball. I've looked at that play from every angle. That was just horrible play, bad execution. Just like <laughs> Stan, you just got to call it like it is sometimes, man. But, um, I this this was a huge huge win for Snyder and K State to to go down and get the road win at Oklahoma K State fifteenth uh, in the country uh, in beating a top ten foe top top ten wins there are few and far between in, in Bill Snyder's very uh, illustrious resume uh, so that right there tells you a lot about how pivotal this game was and how monumental a win this was for him. So K-State's 4-0 on the young year, moving next to the Sunflower Showdown, and this is Charlie Weiss, KU. Uh, they they hung around for a bit in this one. I remember being a lot more irked that we let them do the things that they got away. They had one drive where they were just throwing out chicken shit, fake punt. I, they had one drive, they did a fake punt and a fake field goal. <laughs> and uh, they end up getting a touchdown on that drive, but uh, close for a minute here in Manhattan, and, and it's it's 14 to 14. But K State uh, goes ahead in the locker room, 21 to 14. They miss out on a chance to get a late touchdown right before halftime. Too, uh, they have a pick that they get down inside the five. They aren't able to cash in because they're out of timeouts. So uh, only a seven point lead into the locker room. But then K State scores on the opening drive of the second half. Uh, then there's a weird play where K-State gets a, a pick right at the goal line, but the ball is marked down on the one. And then KU gets a safety. Then K-State comes back and gets a fumble recovery on the ensuing kickoff. There's just this really frenetic pace where KU, it's just turnover, 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 just all these 
havoc plays happening, but K-State ends up blowing the doors open in the third quarter and scoring four touchdowns uh, to pull away 49 to 16. John Hubert gets a late touchdown to make it 56 to 16 and K-State hammers the Jayhawks now three straight wins over KU and not a whole lot to take home about this. Again, this was a bad KU team. You knew K-State was going to handle their business, particularly at home. There was certainly no chance the Hawks were going to come in and, and steal this uh, steal win from a one of the best teams of Bill Snyder's tenure. Uh, but the only thing that I take away from this, again, it, you're just more entrenched as the dominant program in the state. So a big win on the Sunflower Showdown. K-State moves to 5-0. and And then this we kind of get into the stressful stretch here and this is where a lot of the conversation starts to cut up come up about well are we talking contender or are we talking just again another year for nine and three you go to a nice bowl type of thing and iowa state uh this this was a pretty good iowa state squad uh, they come into this game four and one uh as a matter of fact uh squaring off against k-state five and oh so this one I'll ask you guys how you felt about the game and for as close as this was throughout the entirety of the contest, I never once really felt as though K-State was going to lose. Uh, again, not trying to be conceited here, but th this Iowa State team is quartered back by Jared Barrett or Barnett, excuse me. They don't have really any dynamic kind of playmakers uh, really in the pass game or in the run game. They, they, the, and K-State's defense pretty well sits on the clones in this one. They only get 12 first downs in the game. They only rack up 231 yards of total offense. I, um, I, I never felt like K-State was in danger of ever really losing this game, despite trailing at various stints throughout the contest. Uh, I'm, I'm probably the complete opposite. I was, pretty much on the edge of my seat this entire game. Uh, there was a sequence early on. We were up, I think, 10-7 at the time, and it forced a punt that you didn't see Tremaine make a lot of mistakes, but he muffed a punt that Iowa State came up with in the red zone, if I remember right, and our defense turned around with a pick to retain the lead and get the ball back. Um, if that goes differently, you know, we could be – obviously that could that could change the trajectory of the entire season but yeah that I don't know I never feel good about a game in Ames like I said that is just where dreams go to die so um I think it you take whatever win you can get in that venue yeah we'd already had those three years in a row where the game just was super close but ended in uh K-State's favor I just wasn't really worried about this one K-State had it I honestly don't even have many memories about this game, so I can't even like reminisce on my emotions walk or uh, during the game because it just kind of, <clears throat> you know, kind of uh, sandwiched in between the OU and then that West Virginia game. Uh, it's just kind of, I just don't really remember watching this game. Uh, even uh, after the highlights, it kind of rings a bell, but. To your point, Nutter, um, about the Tremaine muffed punt, very next play, Iowa State does what 
you see a lot of teams do, you're going to load up and go for the kill shot and ties them, gets a pick right at the goal line. And I think that was when I kind of knew like, okay, that, that was a pretty big moment in the game. And that's where I felt like K state was going to be pretty secure in the outcome. And, and Iowa state, they, their defense was up to the task and give, and they gave their offense opportunities, but K state just crushed the clones in the field position battle. They, Iowa state had a lot of cracks late, but they were starting drives well inside their 10 and K state's defense again was up to the task to stopping them. So K state now moves to six and zero. we're at the halfway point of the season. The Wildcats rank six in the country. And this brings up the big showdown. Now this is Geno Smith. Colin Klein kind of build as a, a Heisman elimination type game. Uh, we've got Gus Johnson, Charles Davis on the call for Big Fox on a, on a Saturday night. And this, uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably remember uh, Go Ema breaking the internet and just trolling Iowa State fan or not Iowa State, West Virginia fans in this one. Um, the other thing I remember too, the, the K-State mask, those motivational videos that came out. I was out wondering when he was going to come up. I, 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 again, I would be derelict in my duties as host if I did not bring him up at some point. But there there was a lot of buildup to this game and, and K-State really sets the tone opening kickoff. And again, we're going to, Tremaine's going to get a lot of love here. He rips off and gets K-State out to midfield on the opening kickoff. The Wildcats only end up with a field goal on that possession, but they really put the hammer down very quickly on, on Geno Smith in this game and never looked back. This was just a lot of fun to watch, Clint. Yeah, in my notes here, I have written down 2002 Iowa State. Now, it's the second time I've referenced some uh, early 2000 K-State football, but there's a lot of similarities. Iowa State came to that game uh, pretty hyped up. They had Seneca Wallace, who was very hyped up, and K-State just shut them down, which is exactly what we did to uh, West Virginia and Geno Smith. Um, watching him hit that tarp and then it hitting him in the face is my favorite <laughs> gif maybe of all time. Uh, I think this is the one that where Klein really cemented himself into the Heisman race. Like you said, seven touchdowns, 321 pass yards. Uh, this game is just littered with highlight plays. That corner pass to Lockett, the shoebox pass to Harper. Uh, Gus Johnson makes it all better. Fantastic game. So many moments, too, for guy like Tyler Lockett goes for just under 200 yards with a couple of touchdowns. And again, I just, this is when you really to, again, K-State on big stages during the Bill Snyder era was not typically a recipe for success, but this was an era, like this was a coming out party for so many guys and Tyler Lockett. I remember Colin just the, the corner throw I remember, but I also, I, I don't know why the, the play where he throws just the dart right down the seam to Tyler. That's the one that I really remember because a lot of people too had been justifiably so critical of Collins passing motion, which again, if you want to talk about mechanics and all that, yeah, it's, it's not pretty, but he was spinning it that night and he Colin ends up with 323 yards passing three touchdowns, no picks goes 19 of 21 on the evening. And, uh, and the weirdest thing to, again, we talked about how Colin was third in the country in rush attempts the year prior. Uh, he only ends up with 12 carries in this game. And this was, this was, one, but four of those are touchdowns. But this is one of those moments too, for me, where it started to cement the fact that, okay, this group is very 
polished offensively and we don't have to rely on just run and climb smash and trying to move chains that way we can Colin can move in the pocket. We can roll him out. He can hit. He's got guys on the boundary and Harper, Tremaine, and Tyler that he can throw to. He's got Tannehill, obviously, at run, working underneath. Uh, we've got very reliable running backs and John Hubert and Angelo Pease. I have to mention him. He's a guy who doesn't get a lot of love large because he's just largely forgotten on this squad, but he uh, makes some contributions. This this game did so much. Uh, for the K-State program, for Collins Heisman uh, Heisman Trophy campaign, it was just big. And I, I remember Bill Snyder talking about uh, during press conferences about not knowing what style points are. You know, when you when you put up 55 on the road and your your quarterback throws for you know th- has seven total touchdowns, that's those are style points right there. That's what's going to make people pop when they look and they read those box scores. So that was a huge game. And Alex, I feel like I need to give you an opportunity to weigh in here. Cause again, this game was just so entertaining to watch and, and K-State just really never ever once blinked in this one. Like the, 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 the fighters walked right up to each other and, and West Virginia just bowed out super quick in this. I, I love Clint's comparison to that. Oh, two Iowa state team. Uh, Cause we just, they came in so high and we just kind of, pretty much exposed them and that's what we did here this was such a fun game to watch uh tyler lockett klein cementing himself as a heisman candidate because he can actually throw the ball instead of just running and also this is the seventh game of the season and you look at that point you're like we got five games left and they're all very winnable you know so just it's it's kind of that hump in the season where we've we almost have all of our hard games in the rearview mirror and we were undefeated still. So you start to get really, uh, you know, for me, excited, but also anxious and nervous for the rest of the season to, to try to keep things going. Uh, and then also the defense, just watching, watching them smash around Geno Smith and, you know, this West Virginia team put up 70 points a few weeks earlier against Baylor. Um, so just final thoughts. It's probably one of the most fun games I can ever remember watching. Yeah, there, there's no other way to characterize it. It was just a lot of fun. And this was a game I, I was actually at another friend's uh, wedding. Uh, I was up in Parkville for the reception and uh, no TVs, unfortunately, at that one. But I was kind of just tracking it on my phone. And uh, I remember just looking and, and checking Right at, you know, start a kickoff and I see, oh, we got three already. Awesome. And then it's 10 nothing, 17 nothing. And then when it got to 24 0, I was like, oh, we're, we're, we're going to roll some folks today. <laughs> and this was the game for me where I really felt I started thinking national championship. This was the game where I, and to your point, Alex, this, there's not much left on the schedule in terms of hurdles. You're, you're probably looking late in the season at that game against Texas, but I think that was the game for me where I said this this team has every opportunity to to play down to Miami for, for the whole damn thing. And one last note I'll, I'll say as K-State moves to 7-0 and on the young year, uh, it was great to see them expose West Virginia because we talked so much about that high Falutin offense that they had and the week prior actually Texas Tech had kicked the shit out of them down in Lubbock 49 to 14 and I think everybody was oh well 
Geno Smith. We still have this, you know, they've got all these weapons. K-State hasn't really faced an offense this prolific yet. And then the Wildcats laid all that to rest very quickly on the national stage. So K-State now fourth in the country, topples number 17, West Virginia, 55 to 14 is the final score. Garbage time touchdown uh, for the years to make this one look a little bit more respectable, but this was K-State's day. I remember the Kansas City Star the next day, headline says almost heaven. And I think that was when, you know, that's again, one of those moments just as a fan, you start thinking big stage moving forward and we move now to the uh, eighth game of the season. K-State handles the aforementioned Texas Tech Red Raiders. And this was this was Tubbs' best squad that he had uh, at Texas Tech. Seth Dagey was there at quarterback. They had Eric Stevens. Uh, and as Texas Tech always does, plenty of weapons uh, in the perimeter there. Uh, and, and the Red Raiders strike first in this contest. But K-State uh, reels off. Uh, it really starts to pull away in the third quarter is when K-State takes, uh, takes control of this game. Uh, but Clint, one of the probably a play that I just love watching over and over from the blind side. <laughs> um, Meshack Williams just wrecking Seth Dagey. <laughs> That's definitely one of the best uh, sack highlights you'll find throughout K-State history. Um, I think Jarrell Childs picks it up and runs it in, but then they call it back. Was it a block in the back or holding? I can't remember. It was a block in the back behind the play. Yeah. Was was it a good call? I seem to remember being pretty pissed off about the call. It was like it was a block in the back, but it was inconsequential. I think that's what everybody was so pissed about. It didn't affect the play at all. Mm. Uh, the other thing I remember remember about this game is just Gus Johnson having the call again. And I don't pay too much attention to the people calling games, but man, I love Gus Johnson. Him just shouting out, <laughs> talking about Chris Harper, the People's Champ. <laughs> I call him line. Optimus. <laughs> I love that guy so much. And this, this too, uh, there, there are a lot of larger items at play when we start to talk, because this is when we start to talk about it in, in broader collective college football terms. This is when ESPN, so a couple of years prior, ESPN has acquired media rights for the SEC. And, the, and, and when you think about it too, the last six national champions, 2011 was... Um, Alabama 2010 was Auburn 09 was Bama 08 was Florida 07 was LSU 06 was Florida this is when the ESPN SEC propaganda hype machine is really really kicking into gear and then on the other side of the coin you have Fox with its Big 12 rights with the Pac-12 at that time so I remember starting to see like all these little statistical comparisons looking at Alabama versus Kansas state and talking about that in, in as a potential national championship matchup and talking about how remarkably efficient K-State was offensively. I remember seeing some of those graphics while wa watching a replay of this game. Uh, this was just, uh, again, yet another fun game. It's always fun when you win by 30 points, isn't it guys? <laughs> you know, funny how that works out. I hope but, so. Uh, <laughs> if that's not fun. It's probably on you. Uh, another moment too in this game when I, I start thinking about it Arthur Brown's pick six that was another play too where I think when we start talking about when we look back and watch the highlight reel of this team Kansas kid coming back home senior year 
pick six in a big game like this where in Texas Tech was six and one. They were 15th in the country. This was a big game. And K-State just, again, hammers another team uh, that's very respectable at that time. And Texas Tech ends up being, as they always are, a top five passing offense in the country. <laughs> like in, in K-State, with all their great defensive personnel, and I, I have to go and mention the guys who have just been putting clamps on everyone each week, and they doing it against West Virginia, then coming back and doing it the next week. Um, Nigel Malone, Alan Chapman, Ty Zim, Jared Milo, again, stepping in uh, at that safety spot uh, following the departure of Tyson Hartman. Uh, the, the secondary to me at this point in the season was the big reason why I, th- I felt like K-State was going to have a chance to make the, a big time run uh, because it just it just seemed like everything was clicking for this team. And, and another thing about the squad, too, and we'll talk about it here as we get to the last couple of games of the season, remarkably healthy through the first eight games, remarkably healthy. And I. I'm just <laughs> this is where I'm getting to the point where I'm trying to start to temper expectations because I'm just <laughs> sitting there thinking there's there's still a lot of things that need to happen. But Alex, uh, I, I need to I, I need to pivot to you here and just ask um, after this one goes final. The, the stage seems to be getting bigger and bigger. Are we getting nervous about the next week when K-State has to welcome in Oklahoma State? I, uh, I've touched on this off air a couple of times, but as fun as this year was, this is probably the most nervous, like every week, all week long, I was just thinking about it, you know, just we're undefeated, we're undefeated, just, oh man, like 2011 was fun, but we got that loss out of the way with Oklahoma and it was just kind of, you know, enjoy the ride. This was Every week you keep winning, that pressure just keeps building. And I don't know. It was, I don't exactly remember, probably after Oklahoma, honestly, but every time we won, it's more and more, we're almost there. Let's not, let's not, uh, let's not blow this chance because we're not going to get another one for a while, probably. And uh, I just remember being very nervous and very anxious most of the season as a fan. One final note on the Tech game. <laughs> Again, Bill saying that he doesn't know what a style point is. Uh, first team offense still in the game up uh, 48 to 17 and Colin throwing a shovel pass touchdown. Come on, Bill. <laughs> we're not we're not dumb. <laughs> so K-State uh, wins this one 55 to 24. And the Cats now, again, moving on. Stage gets a little bit bigger, and this is one, too, where um, I, Oklahoma State has taken a, a – they've regressed a little bit. The year prior, obviously, a very special season. Oklahoma State went 12-1, and one, was left out of the national championship because of the BCS and whatnot. And Oklahoma State also uh, bid it late in the year with that loss at, at Iowa State. So Oklahoma State and Mike Gundy, they've they've taken a little bit of a step back. They're five and two coming into this game against K-State. But the the Wildcats, again, the lights aren't too bright. Brent Musburger on the call, Kirk Herbstreet doing color, ABC cameras rolling into Manhattan. It's early November and K-State really all phases in this one takes care of business against Oklahoma State. Uh, Nutter, 
what do you remember about this contest? Because the this game has a lot of, like, again, as I said, a lot of contributions from all the units. Yeah, um, really did. I think Tyler had a 100-yard kick return. I know Chapman kind of continued his dominance of Oklahoma State with another pick six. Two of them, actually. Three? Three holding up three? Interceptions. Three interceptions, one pick six. Sorry. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, really kind of rolling in all phases. I know you kind of you kind of foreshadowed it and saying we come into this game remarkably healthy. Um, obviously, I think this is kind of the game you can pinpoint as the beginning of the end might be a little dramatic in a year that we still only lost one game in the regular season. But, you know, you can definitely pinpoint some of the, the, the root causes of issues we had down the stretch to this one. Um, it's crazy unfortunate because Colin punches one in to put us up 38-17, uh, mid, about 10 minutes left in the third quarter. And I think we've all heard the stories of he doesn't remember scoring. He asked in the huddle, did we score a couple of times? Um, obviously, he was never quite right after that. Um, they they err on the side of caution, which, again, is unfortunate because, like I said, at that point, that game was really kind of looking to be out of hand for Oklahoma State. I think we were probably about to put it on cruise control. Um, but again, just another trashing of what was at the time a ranked opponent. You can never sleep on Oklahoma state. I think they came in, uh, five and two on the year. Um, you you know, again, when you're scoring in all three facets against a team of that qual, uh, of that caliber, and you're again, running them out of the building, uh, they, 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 they scored a couple late when we had Sam's kind of just keeping us above water. So, I mean, the score isn't really indicative of how this one went, but you felt good, but you were also crazy nervous about what transpired, you know, in the second half. Yeah, I actually, those words went through my mind when this, this, uh, when we got to this game was the beginning of the end. Uh, this is where injuries started mount up for Colin and then preceding games, uh, with uh, some other key players on defense and, and stuff like that. The the one cool thing I remember about this game is I was in the <clears throat> the southwest corner and they had the uh, the BCS championship trophy down there. So I had a pretty good view of that. That was pretty cool, which, you know, if that's at your football game, that gets you pretty excited. And That's not there by accident, right? Yeah, yeah. It's there because we have a shot to win it that year at that point, so... Yeah, I think everyone pretty much touched on it. Just thank God for Bubba Chapman. (laughs) It was a little stressful late. Uh, Chapman gets a pick on a late drive when Oklahoma State's trying to draw within within a score. Uh, You hit it pretty well on the head. K-State, that Colin Klein touchdown put the Cats up 38-17 to early in the third quarter. And again, I think at that point we're all kind of wondering, okay, we're about to pull away, and then that next possession – Sam rolls out and then we start seeing a lot more Daniel Sams. We see Angela Pease running wildcat. It's, it's pretty apparent that, okay, Snyder's we're closing up the playbook. We're, we're going to go as conservative as possible. Just try to kill clock and get the hell out of here, which the K state wildcats are, are able to do. K state rolls up 481 yards of total offense plus five on turnovers today. And, uh, Colin again, sharp, 
one more time, goes 16 of 22 for 245 yards. Daniel Sams comes in five of six for 45 yards. Be remiss if I didn't touch on that. Uh, but Colin, uh, only one touchdown in this game. So you, Heisman chances, you feel like the couple weeks prior with the numbers that he had put up, he, he was going to earn, you know, a little bit of a break on that front. And the fact that the, the team kept winning, I think that was not going to be detrimental to his Heisman hopes as we move forward to the 10th game of the season. And this was the game that uh, when I was looking at it here, I was just like, at this point, I'm just saying, you, you guys, we just got to get home. That's all we got to do. We just got to get back for the Texas game. We just got to find a way to get home. And this was the game against TCU. And, and again, TCU struggles like West Virginia struggles coming into the Big 12 for their first year. Defensively, uh, not at, at all surprised that Gary uh, Gary Patterson's squad does a, a great job in prepping for this one. And K-State's still pretty limited in the off, uh, arsenal offensively uh, just because we're, we're trying to protect Colin. We're trying not to run him as much. I say that, and he ends up actually having uh, 15 carries in this game. But K-State needed him. And that I, I think the game plan was probably a little bit different than it otherwise would have been. But uh, this is a game where K-State's defense really rules the day. And it's 23 to nothing uh, midway through the third quarter, uh, or actually deep into the fourth, excuse me. And the Cats do surrender 10 late, but... They were ne- the outcome was never really in doubt. I think after about halftime, I felt like K-State had pretty well done enough to win the game. But a very critical injury late in this one, uh, Clint, where we see Ty Zim go out. Yeah, and that would uh, definitely come back to haunt us in the next game. Um, I don't remember a whole lot about this, uh, this game, except for that Meshack Williams play where he in, he uh, ends up tackling the quarterback and the running back in the same play. Mm-hmm. Um, that one always stands out to me. Uh, but it's yeah, pretty, like that, I, I think that that play kind of defines that game, really. I yeah, remember Nigel dropping a pick six. <laughs> Nobody else remembers that one. No, I guess not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Nigel drops a pick six and I remember he, uh, he gets on the ground, does the pushups, counts him off. And Charles, and I remember again, Charles, <laughs> Charles Davis and Gus Johnson on the call box proper big Saturday night game. And, and I just remember watching that just kind of laughing. And, and at that point in time, you know, it's, it, it would have made the score 30 to nothing had he actually held onto it and taken it all the way back. So I wasn't too tweaked about it, but Alex, I, I want to ask you how um, Ty Zim is, is probably one of the most, I don't know if underappreciated is the right word, but he is one of the most reliable safeties K-State's had really probably in program history. And we, we it's still fairly young in his career too. Um, how concerned were you when he went out as we looked forward to the next week? So I feel like having a good safety like that is, uh, you know, when you watch a baseball game and they say, hey, we're in the seventh inning and we haven't even mentioned the umpire because he's been pretty good. I feel like a safety is kind of like that. When they're really good, you don't notice them as much because, you know, you, you notice them when they're making picks and stuff like that. But a lot of it is just keeping things in front of you. It's also being the quarterback of the defense where you're making sure people are in the right spot. Um 
So I think we probably underestimated the loss until it actually manifested itself in the next game. When you don't have that player there, who's that leader, who's, uh, you know, making sure everything's going according to plan pre-snap, just as important as after the snap, um, you don't notice how much of a loss it is until until you don't have him back there anymore. So to me, I was concerned because I knew he was a really good player, but I feel like his value showed itself more with him out. And uh, it was more of a hindsight thing like, damn, we should have been a lot more worried about this coming into the Baylor game. Now, I do have to mention uh, the more eventful happening is not taking place in Fort Worth on this day. It is taking place in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where Texas A&M, Johnny Manziel, and a game pretty much that propelled Johnny Manziel to the Heisman. Let's not mince words here. This was the game that did it. He didn't. He yeah. He had to do all. He had to do was one thing. And granted, beating Nick Saban and Al in in Tuscaloosa is tough as hell. I'm not going to discredit that. But this was the game where that Texas A&M squad had lost two games. They only I think Manziel was two and two against uh, bowl teams that year. But that game propelled him into the Heisman conversation. But it also takes Alabama out of the ranks of the undefeated. And now we're talking, this is poetic. This is, this is to the point now where we're talking about Texas A&M 15 years later returning the favor after taking K-State out of a national championship game. The Aggies have given K-State the door. And it's really just on K-State now at this point to win two games. Did did anybody at, at that point think like, wow, this is sometimes you just get the breaks. And, and uh, did anybody else have that thought at this point? The thing I remember about it is that game went final just about the time our game kicked that night. So obviously, you know, you knew our guys knew and you worried, you know, is that going to be in the back of their mind? Um so I don't think I felt super great about it until we actually got out of Fort Worth with the W. Um, at that point, I think is when it really started to sunk in that like, oh my God, we're actually in the driver's seat. Not only are we in the driver's seat, we're in the driver's seat and might not even have to look at Alabama. So, I mean, yes, I think by the time we got on the bus at the end of that game is when it had finally hit me that this is really ours to lose at this point, this late in the year. Didn't Oregon also lose, lose that day? They lost to Stanford. So, right. so at this point, it's it's K-State and Notre Dame. And that was the other thing, too. It was it was going to be this this huge, the Golden Dome and all the, the pageantry and everything that surrounds Notre Dame's program. You think about that going up against Bill Snyder in, in, in a national championship setting. It, and it hurts my soul to have to talk about this, knowing what happens the next week. But that was that to me I was just starting to think about that and I and the other thing I remember too was starting to see those season ticket holders you start getting those forms for bowl ticket requests and I remember filling one of those out to go to Miami and oh my god this is just really hard to even talk about right now but this I just (laughs) as a K-State fan you feel even better because going into that weekend there's four undefeated teams and you know we're K-State if we're a if we're one of four or even three undefeated teams, we're getting left out. So not only was that AM win over Alabama huge, but Oregon also losing, basically, you know, putting us in a position like we went out, we're in. 
Alex was Ohio State one of the four. Well, they were in a bowl, a bowl band that year. That right, and I think that's it's easy to forget that that right. they were finally paying the price for players selling their bowl rings for tattoos or whatever the hell they got in trouble for. So, I mean, you can't you can't talk about our chances without keeping in mind that another blue blood was ineligible to, for even to even be in the consideration for it. So as a K-State fan, it's all lining up, you know, like uh, if Ohio State didn't have a bowl, bowl ban, we're not number one or two. We're definitely number three uh, in the BCS standings. But, you know, everything seemed to be going right. It's going to come down to Notre Dame and us if we're undefeated because Oregon and Alabama both have a loss. Uh, so that just makes, you know, but in the back of your head, you're like, well, we're K-State, something Something has to go wrong for us, right? I don't know. But well, all these repressed feelings are starting to come back up for me that I hadn't <laughs> thought about in quite a while. So thanks a lot, Jeff. This is a great idea. Love it. <laughs> Happy to help, man. It's it's cathartic in a way. Um, Plus, you feel good. Uh, don't ask. Don't talk. Don't talk to me about the crying that I'm going to do after we uh, stop recording here today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's now K State ten and zero number one in the BCS, and going into Waco, Texas to face a Baylor team that I, I know a lot of people are going to look at them at this stage in, in the season, and they're going to see that, okay, Baylor had lost. Uh, they had a stretch where they started 3-0, then they lost four straight, so they're coming into the game in Man- uh, coming into the game against K-State at 4-5, and five, and I remember the worst rush defense in the country at that point, too, and I thought to myself, this this seems pretty academic, you know, just got to go out there. And he, and with Colin, um, even with him being banged up, I felt like that would still be something we could exploit. The fact that this this team has been horrible against the run all season long. They've they've given up. They've had games where they've given up 42, 70, 49, 56. Iowa State beat them 35 to 21. And I'm just sitting there thinking to myself this whole time, like, OK, the our, our offense is demonstrated plenty of times that it it's it's sharp it's efficient it's going to be able to carve up this team and give us a chance to win this game and unfortunately that does not be end up being the case on this day where k-state ends up falling to baylor and the margin here um when we start looking at this game in terms of how much it hurts um uh the younger crowd will probably say that this game sucks and is, is going to be the worst loss of their fandom. It, it doesn't hold a candle to, to Texas A&M in 98. It will never be that close. That was simply a, a win and you're in proposition. This, this was still, you have to win this game. You have to win the next week against Texas. And then you have to hope that something crazy doesn't happen with the BCS. There were still a lot of dominoes left to fall, but K-State, you felt like it pretty well put themselves in a position to, to be in control of their own destiny uh, with this team. But I, I don't really know where to go with this game because it got out of hand so quickly. Dante Barnett ends up coming in to run safety for K-State after Ty Zim ends up uh, going out with an injury and Baylor will, for, for as bad as they were on defense, this was still, this was an Art Bryles offense. It was very explosive. They averaged 575 yards a game. They were, they could move the ball. And, and, and truth be told, they, 
they really were in uh, those games that I spoke of. They lost 70 to 63 to West Virginia. They lost 56 to 50 against Texas. They lost 42 to 34 against Oklahoma and all those losses coming on the road. It wasn't as if this was a bad Baylor team. They just had some breaks go the other way uh, on in road games. This was a team that could very well have been in conference contention, but it, it just was horrible to see K-State get out of this one so quickly. And even though the Wildcats do end up putting up 10 in the second quarter and getting this one to 28-17 at half, Nutter, did you did you feel like a comeback was possible? Because really, K-State had never been put in a position where they had to really come back in a game. Did you think that was even in the cards for this team? I mean, the fact that we reeled off 10, 10 points just before half to cut it to, what was it, a 10-11 point game at half, I think. Um, I mean, you couldn't rule it out. Obviously, you know, this team, and I know it's it, national broadcasters love to make this point. This was not a team built to come from behind, but knowing how bad Baylor's run defense was, you had to think we had a chance. But then for Baylor to come out, punch one in immediately after half, um, I believe we answered. So it's still an 11-point game. Baylor reels off a couple more. We had a chance. We started a drive late in the third quarter, and it took six, seven minutes. Pretty pretty quintessential Bill Snyder drive. And we get down. We have it second and goal at the two and cannot get those six feet. We got it to the one and on two tries couldn't punch it in. And I think that was that was the end. I think any chance we had after that probably went out the window. Baylor went on to punch in two more touchdowns including this is really the only other thing I remember about this game, that that C-Strunk run up the middle where, again, reminiscent to that Taylor Martinez run, just split the safeties and was just off to the races. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, coming out, of, coming out of the locker room at half, I thought we had a chance, but a lot of things had to go right. But obviously pretty much nothing went right the rest of the way. Alex and Clint, uh, I got to ask you guys in terms of, where this loss ranks for you, certainly the worst of 2-0 for obvious reasons, but uh, as a collective, like I said, we're a little bit older, <laughs> you know, and we've seen higher heights. Uh, where did this L fall for you in terms of your K-State fandom? So 1998, I was 10 years old. The uh, A&M game definitely hurt worse, but being so young, I think I was able to bounce back from it more. This game broke me. <laughs> I mean, I to this day, I did not get as high or as low from any loss or win. At, um, I mean, I just remember watching it at home. My roommate had his girlfriend and a few of her friends over. So I was the only one that was actually invested in the game. When it was going so poorly, they just could not care at all. They were just jabbering away. And I just wanted to murder those girls. <laughs> I think about that constantly. <laughs> Um, just not having Ty Zimmerman just can't be overstated enough how much that hurt us. I mean, Dante Barnett would go on to be a pretty dang good player, but he was not that. Jared Milo looked really bad without uh, Zimmerman next to him. I mean, it was kind of like how badly Zimmerman played in that Nebraska game a few years earlier that you had mentioned where Martinez just ran all over us. Uh, I will... Me and Justin have talked about this. 1998, I was 10 years old, and I really didn't pay that much attention uh, to K-State football at that time. 
like the year I really got super invested with was the 2002 season. So 98 hurts as a fan to look back on, but I don't really have any, like I didn't really experience it live uh, just because I was 10. My family weren't big K-State fans. So it's not like my dad was watching the game with me or anything like that. So, uh, so yeah, I will say this is probably the worst uh, loss I've suffered as a K-State fan. And Similar to Clint, I usually like to watch games more or less by myself or with one or two other people that are in as invested as I am. But for some reason, this season was going so well, I invited some neighbors over to watch the game and order. Oh, and they <laughs> didn't really give a shit about the game. So I'm sitting there and my wife's getting all mad at me for being a bad host because I'm just sitting there like clawing my recliner armrest in the you know, in the second half and nobody else in the room has any idea. Like even it's like, Oh, it looks like K-State's going to lose, huh? And I'm just like, I'm going to kill somebody. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, I will say that it's probably, you know, we were in our early twenties at this point. So I think as, you know, a decade, almost a decade later, I think this game has kind of taught me to maybe not get so emotionally invested. Um, in sporting events because you know i it's very healthy death i felt real shitty after this game and you know it's a bad loss and you want to feel bad when something like that happens but part of a part of my maturing process for sure i can tell you what i was doing that day i remember i (laughs) i went to um uh, i got a haircut earlier in the day and this, uh, the woman who cuts my hair had her own little boutique shop, and um, she had let the next person come in before she finished up with me. And it was this little snot-nosed shitbird KU kid who was just saying, "Case, it's going to lose tonight," because I had my purple on, obviously. And of course, I can't go in and just sock a, and you know, a twelve-year-old in the face, even though I wanted to. No, with that and, attitude, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah too many witnesses but i i don't know why that sticks out in my head i never went back to see that woman again she has not cut my hair <laughs> since then so <laughs> maybe i'm weird too like the rest of us and the other thing i i had done i and i had been doing throughout the year um i had purchased all these blank vhs tapes because i had a a tape recorder and I was going to dub the games over to DVD because I had some sort of issue trying to record it straight to the DVD and I had run out of tapes after the TCU game and not thinking anything of it you know I had had done this literally for every televised game that season and I didn't do it for Baylor and so that's probably why we lost damn it Jeff for for posterity's sake (laughs) but yeah I just uh, Lots of little things I remember from that day. I watched the I'd watched all those games with my parents too, uh, the road games at least, all the home ones. I was fortunate enough to attend that year, but this this one just it it sucked. But for me, this was kind of akin to like I think the 2000 season. I remember I was really really in, into as a as a kid. I was 13 at the time, and I remember losing that game against Oklahoma in 2000. And this kind of was in line more so with that than it was with. Because that 2000 team, you know, that at that point in time in the year was 
number two in the country and looking like it was well on its way to a crash course with a top five Nebraska for a spot in the Big 12 title game and potentially in the Natty. And I don't know, I, I this, I think, just kind of the point that we've all been underscoring here. We kind of felt like everything was on borrowed time at this point. You just kind of had, you had to find a way you had to find a way. And unfortunately that just doesn't end up happening in in, in this game. K-State does have a couple of cracks to try and claw their way back into this one. It was 38 to 24 midway through the third quarter. So it's only two scores. uh, And K-State has some possessions where they get inside the Baylor 10, they can't convert, can't get points. And then at Nutter, you talked about the C-strunk gashing just right up the middle. That was that was kind of the, the dagger uh, right there, at least for me. Uh, Baylor really exploits K-State in a way that no other team had done that year. And the, the kind of the, the very common misconception about Baylor is that they just they throw the ball over the yard. And, and they do. But Baylor spreads you out and gets wide splits and they create huge running lanes for their guys. And they had pretty big playmakers and C strunk and so on and so forth. And, and they outgain K state 580 to 362. Colin has three interceptions in this game, Brad Nessler's Colin. And again, this is where the stage was certainly the brightest. And unfortunately K state does not uh, deliver here. So the Wildcats now go to 10 and one. They do come home for a de facto Big 12 championship uh, game against the Texas Longhorns and all for all the things that went wrong the week prior K-State does come out and gets right and and again very clearly you don't see any residual effects from the week prior the defense plays much much cleaner much more buttoned up Um, and and this was a good Texas team this wasn't a a team that was in contention for the Big 12 championship but it was a game in which K-State wins they are conference champion and the Wildcats do end up winning that now there's some plays here that that I'm sure again the younger crowd will say uh, super super iconic super memorable I, I was still I was so much in the mode of this was supposed to be just kind of like the coronation. This was supposed to be how Bill Bill's second tenure culminates. And I don't know how you guys felt about it. I, I was obviously happy in the moment. Big 12 champs, really cool setting and, uh, uh, you know, students coming onto the field, you got the fog hanging over the state. There's just a lot of cool things, but I, I still couldn't just help but think like, this is, this is a great season but it wasn't what it was supposed to be. I don't know how anybody else felt about it. Yeah, that was supposed to be our send-off to a national championship game. And uh, it was literally the week after that dream had pretty much been crushed. You know, it's not like we lost and we had, okay, we got three more games to win to, to win the Big 12. You know, I think by that time you can refocus all your thoughts and energy like national championships out of the picture but we still got work to do to win the Big 12. This was, okay, we got one more game, but literally last week we were still thinking we were going to the national championship game. Uh, so it was fun. It was, you know, you don't want to blow your chance at a national title, and then the next week you blow the league title. So it was still an important game. You want to get that that Big 12 championship uh, and that BCS berth, but, you know, it's, it was a little bittersweet for sure. Yeah, definitely took some of the shine off. Um, you know, looking back on it, you know, Big 12 championships don't come around that often. So I wish I would have um, 
maybe uh, cared about it a little bit more than I did, but I was definitely pretty upset still. Um, you know, watching the highlight video earlier this week, uh, one play that stands out is that deep ball to Tyler Lockett at the uh, kind of the start of the fourth quarter. Um, you know, he was really coming on that year. Um, obviously, he would go on to be a superstar the next couple of years. Uh, just hearing the we own Texas chance at the end of the game on that highlight video, that was pretty sweet. I think that game started, if I remember right, with what looked like a Nigel Malone pick six, and he kind of flipped the ball away as he was crossing yeah. the goal line. You see that far too often for for as uh, for as detrimental as that is. You see that far too often, and they ended up reviewing it. And I don't remember how we ended up with the ball because if I remember right, a Texas player fell on it in the end zone, but. Uh, they blew Obviously the play dead. And it not, doesn't matter, but that for whatever reason, that's the play that always sticks with me from that game. Defense does its job again. Looks very sharp in this one, and very refreshing to see. And I think this speaks uh, very highly, obviously, of the coaching acumen in play. Because, Clint, to your point, Big Twelve titles don't come around very often. It's it's really really fucking hard to win. 10, 11 games and to win the conference. And the fact that the guys were still able to put the carrot back out there to the like, hey, you guys can still go out. You can still win this conference. You can still go play at that point in, in a BCS game. You have the chance to be the best team in program history and get to potentially 12 and one overall. I think, again, a remarkable job by the staff to, to motivate the guys and, and help them put put the loss and everything into perspective and still know that there are things to play for. And that's why uh, Snyder is one of the legendary and all-time great head coaches in college football. So K-State gets it done. Uh, they finished this regular season 11-1. and They knock off Texas here, and the Wildcats earn a bid to the Fiesta Bowl to square up against Oregon, uh, which is more or less uh, – Baylor on Coke at this point. Um, Oregon is really good. And this is the height of the Chip Kelly era. This is when Oregon is going to Rose. They they have a stretch where they go to four consecutive BCS bowls. Uh, I remember I, I went down to Glendale with the family for this one. And, and, and again, it was it, it was great. It, it, it was a great experience. Again, you see there's 40,000 K-State fans that roll in as as we are, are very much known for doing. I uh, ran into Michael Bishop and Jeff Kelly at the uh, the tilted kilt uh, got a picture with those two those two uh, again obviously iconic k-state players uh, but oregon was certainly the, the better team and i think this this kind of underscores the fact that maybe oregon certainly looked much more deserving than notre dame at a spot at that national championship game <laughs> and with alabama just trucking um Notre Dame the way that they did. I, I think there was no real doubt that Bama was a, a deserving for that number one, one or two spot, but I think there was a lot of consternation about who deserved the other slot against them, but I, I, I don't know how that this really puts a bow on the year for you guys because, again, it just kind of – this the way that it ended seemed like it was just kind of all all too typical of what we, we knew of, of Bill Snyder teams is when – we we saw this a lot where you know the two thousand the aforementioned two thousand team they they end up taking they knock out Nebraska they win the Big Twelve North they get to the Big Twelve championship game and then they end up losing to Oklahoma they go to the Cotton Bowl again a great accomplishment a great season but uh, 
that's just kind of what happens. The 2002 team, they don't even win the division because they they trip up against Colorado. But again, they go 11 and two, a great season, a great accomplishment. The 2003 team, they do end up winning the Big 12 title, but they lose the Fiesta Bowl. I'm like, to me, this just kind of gets lost in the shuffle uh, of a lot of those great seasons from the early two, the late 90s and early 2000s. Uh, but Clinton and Alex uh, and Justin, how do you guys feel that this season really ranks in terms of K-State greats? I think it ranks highly because it's so separated from those 90s and early 2000s. Uh, if you were talking about just talent-wise, I mean, I'd probably rank 95, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2002, 2003, all ahead of it. But it it does kind of stand alone because it was so separated from those other ones. It was in a different landscape of college football with, you know, different styles of play. And they were able to um, still get things done in a different way than Snyder was in the first go around. Um, Shades of 98 with kind of the you miss out on a championship game birth, and then you kind of go, uh, I know different circumstances for sure, but just kind of the, well, let's end on a bowl win, and then you, you can't even go do that. So, Yeah, I mean, we've had some really good one-loss teams over the years, but Jeff, you kind of just alluded to it with the old format of the Big 12. One loss often meant you weren't even going to get a crack at winning the conference championship game because you weren't playing in it. Um that obviously being the difference here, you know, we still have a chance, even having tripped up late, we have a chance at that elusive 12th win that Bill never got. Um, unfortunately, just probably the worst possible matchup we could have gotten in that particular bowl game. Um, I know it's weird to say that we would have had a better setup against Notre Dame in the national championship, but just, you know, Things never really seemed to fall K-State's way that late in the year. And it was just, you know, kind of a perfect storm of crap once again. You get just <laughs> enough to, to, to get invested in it. And then they, they, the rug gets pulled out from under us once That's again. That's right. Yep. I think, and I just uh, thought that... of something, by the way. Was this a year where we were supposed to play Oregon to open the year? It was. And we... That, uh, I believe we backed out of that game. Uh, that was supposed to be the first. This is part. I, I believe these were all the deals that were struck by Ron when he this was, head was coach. this was a Ronald special for sure. Yeah, just kind of an interesting footnote. Sorry. What are you guys' thoughts on Heisman? Because I still, I was under the belief then, and I don't know if I could. I guess looking back on it, but I feel like even with uh, you know Johnny Manziel's crazy numbers he put up, which in my opinion, were only crazy because they were in the SEC. They wouldn't have been crazy in the Big 12. But uh, I still think Colin probably would have got the nod if we were undefeated at that point. I feel like he was he was the front runner because he was the leader of an undefeated K-State team. And once we lost a game, it, it wasn't his anymore, you know. What do you guys think? I'm still mad that he got third. I mean, the fact that he lost him to uh, Johnny Manziel, I, I can understand that, but Manti Teo should not have gotten second place there. I know it. I know uh, Manziel was not the first because Tim Tebow won it as a sophomore, but I feel like at that point they were still a little more hesitant to give it to an underclassman. And, you know, Manziel's, he won it because of numbers and that Alabama game. If he doesn't beat Alabama, I don't think he was – well, he might have won it just because we ended up losing. But 
I still I guess I'll always wonder, and it's easy to perceive it as a slight, but I'll always wonder, you know, what does he get? Is there a little more forgiveness for that one loss if he's not, if he doesn't have the power cat on his helmet? You know what I mean? Like, we're never going to have the national brand. I you feel know, like did- power cat was giving him the, uh, the upper hand as you have this team undefeated, but once, once we lost a game, the power cat became a, a hindrance to him. I guess that that's more what I'm wondering is like, it, I think it required absolute perfection for him to win it. Whereas, you and know, if he had good numbers that year too, so it's not like he was only on there just because we were undefeated. Sure. Sure. You know, I just, I think about, and I know this isn't necessarily the, the most parallel But, you know, I think about like in 2003 when Oklahoma gets completely blown out of the water by K-State in the Big 12 championship and still manages to play for the national championship, you know, a week later. It's like I think some schools there's just a there's a benefit of the doubt or a margin for error that K-State is just never going to get. That's just an unfortunate truth, I think. And it came back to bite us in the ass in about the worst possible way that year. Because when other teams up, they just oh, they just had a bad a bad game when we slip up it's oh you were never good to begin with that's right yeah i think you're that's what i've been trying to say yeah colin had 38 total touchdowns 23 on the ground this season like he he had very very respectable numbers and and manzel uh there's just not much you can really say. I mean, the dude had 47 total TDs that year, ran for 1,400 yards, passed for over, you know, just a shy of 4,000. Like, statistically, like Manziel, certainly deserving. But again, it's one of those things, the way that the season had unfolded for A&M, that to me is, it's candidly, it's just kind of bullshit that it all shook out the way that it did because, they lost to Florida first game of the year, and then they lost to LSU. And it, it let's not mince words. It was purely because they beat Alabama on a big sure. stage. That's that's the only reason why he ended yeah. up taking home the Heisman. And his numbers were impressive, but how many Big 12 quarterbacks have done that or better over the years? You know, it was impressive because it's, oh, my God, nobody can do this to SEC defenses. Yeah, yeah, they can, you know. It's it's not that hard to rack up. There, there's bad teams in the SEC, especially when most teams are not used to playing that style of football. You know, that was their first year in the SEC, correct? Yeah, I was going to say, funny how that, that all came out with Missouri going in and winning the SEC East and Texas A&M coming in and winning 10 games their first year in the SEC. It's almost like they hadn't seen you know, spread offenses and everybody's running three yards and a cloud of farts up there, you know, it's, yeah. It's changed. I mean, the SECs, they held out longer than most conferences, but, you know, they had to adapt to college football as well. I mean, they can adapt easier because they can still get the best players, but still. I've got to ask, you know, obviously nine, 10 years removed from this, does it change your perception knowing the, you know, colossal piece of crap human being Manziel turned out to be? I had a feeling he was like that even then. <laughs> he was not a likable guy for me. He had a pretty yeah. punchable face up there yeah. with Grayson Allen for sure. He always <laughs> seemed like a real little bitch. <laughs> I, I mean, I never thought he was going to do anything in the NFL. Granted, Clint will tell you. But I'm he had good. giant hands. 
I know I, that was one of his things is that he had like the largest hand dimensions. I was like, okay, have fun in Cleveland. All right. Clint will tell you, I predict almost every quarterback is going to be a bust in the NFL, but I definitely predicted that one for sure. Now we talk Heisman here and, and again, I think we need to make also the comparison to another K-State great. Where do you guys feel Collins season ranks when compared against Bishop's 1998 campaign? I think this is always a very interesting debate in terms of who you think outperformed the other. Mm -hmm. So I think people have already started to forget how good Colin Klein was. When you watch his highlight tapes, he doesn't make these just jaw-dropping plays that Michael Bishop did. But at the same time, Michael Bishop was just otherworldly with his ability. Um, yeah, for, so I would, the only downfall to Michael Bishop in my mind is that he fumbled too much. There's obviously that one particular fumble that really cost us. Um, they were both great leaders. They both had this will to win, but uh, Bishop, you know, he just had this next level. I would always take him first. It's hard for me to compare them. One, like I said before, I didn't really watch a lot of K-State football in the, uh, you know, the, the late 90s heyday. Like, I obviously knew who Michael Bishop was, and I knew he was really good, but that was all more just what I heard as a fan. And then also you're comparing, you know, two different landscapes of college football. So you can't make a you can't make a one to one comparison just based off stats. And uh, I think Clint's right. You look at just looking over this season, watching the highlights, you forget just. It's it's right there in front of you, like Colin Klein is not the most athletic or physically gifted guy, and he just makes plays that he probably should not be able to make. And that is pretty, pretty damn impressive. Um, and that, you know, that that all kind of uh, <clears throat> fleshes itself out later when, you know, you see combine numbers and stuff like that. And he doesn't really get drafted or, you know, because he wasn't a superstar athlete. He was just a smart, tough football player that just knew how to play football and make plays. And uh, but it's hard for me, in my opinion, to say who I think is better and who who I would probably pick probably the the talent um of bishop is is definitely the the tipping factor but yeah i don't i don't i don't ever want to forget how enjoyable and how good colin colin klein was uh for our football team i don't think i could add much that you guys haven't already said but i do want to uh, pose a question is it time to retire number seven no <laughs> I do like the idea, I think I've already told you guys this, of making it um, an upperclassman who's already proved himself uh, be the only players that are eligible for number seven. I don't like retiring numbers in college. I'm fine with it in the NFL because there's fewer, um, you know, fewer roster spots, first of all. But second, someone can play and be that number for 20 years and have, you know, but I feel like in college, it's really nice to have a number like a number seven that means something as a legacy. Like if you're granted permission to wear this number, that means something about you. Um, and so I like, I like seeing number seven um, continue on. I don't like if, if, if there was a number to retire, that would be it. But, but I don't, I don't necessarily like retiring numbers in college. What do you think, Jeff? <laughs> I, I I'm in that same camp. <laughs> Sorry. 
you join Mr. Bigglesworth there, Alex. Uh, yeah, I, um, I'm in the same camp. I just don't think you retire numbers in college. There's, there's going to be such a revolving door of players, guys who are going to use that number over the course of their careers. Um, I, I think Clint's stipulation that he threw in there, I think something like with what Skyler's doing this year, obviously, I think that's, uh, that's something I could get behind and support. Uh, I just I, I don't think there's any sense in in taking a, a number that uh, in particular is used in so many different positions, too, because you see, I think back, you know, we see guys like Kenny McIntyre used number seven, Josh Buell used number seven, um, Danzo, Michael Bishop. Dan, I was going to say there's just been so many guys at so many various levels that have used that number. And I, I just think it would be unfortunate to take that off um, off the board because we want to retire it because again i i think there's there's plenty of room for other guys to make contributions with that number and i would love i still like to see that and i don't know what it is but there's just something about the number seven in football there there's just something very entrancing about it to me i I can't it's one of those hard things that's one of those things that's hard to put a finger on but i i think it should still be one that that all players have access to well, I think, Clint, you mentioned this last week. We might have been talking about this off air, that seven is just such a quarterback number that a lot of kids are going to come in wanting that anyway. So mm-hmm. I could see arguments for both sides, but I definitely think it's a good talking point. Yeah, that's why I said that 43 was more likely, just because nobody really wants 43 outside of Darren Sproles. Sure. So, Justin, what's your answer on it then? What's I'm your, sorry? What's your answer? It's your question. So, honestly, I'd kind of been in the retire it camp for quite a while. Um, I will say I had never really entertained the idea of like making it a, you know, kind of a rite of passage, like you guys are talking about, you know, where rather than retiring it, making something you have to earn and, uh, maybe even ask permission to wear. So, I mean, it's definitely a good idea that I just admittedly hadn't really, hadn't really considered before. And in talking about number seven, again, I would be remiss if we didn't briefly touch on the, all the distinctions and accolades that came to this 2012 team as we get ready to book in this episode colin klein big 12 offensive player of the year no shock there his contributions to this team not just statistically but in the leadership department as clint touched on and and all the other intangible things he was an exceptional talent and somebody who we as fans should consider ourselves very privileged to have watched wear the purple. He was a a great, great ambassador for the university. And it was great to watch him play these last two years at QB. So he is your big 12 offensive player of the year. First time K-State's had a big 12 offensive player of the year. Arthur Brown, defensive player of the year, ends the season with an even 100 tackles. And he is the third Wildcat all time to earn the big 12 defensive player of the year. Mark Simino and Terrence Newman, the two who preceded him in that department. And then looking up and down the first team and second team rosters for the Big 12 Conference, I know I touched on defensively how invaluable Nigel Malone and Alan Chapman were in the secondary. Neither of those two are on the first or second team. However, in the secondary, Ty Z- the aforementioned Ty Zimmerman, and I think his absence in that Baylor game probably underscored to a lot of the people who voted how 
how vital his presence was on the defensive side. He's first team all Big 12. Arthur Brown, obviously, first team all Big 12 at linebacker. And then Meshack Williams at defensive end leads the team in sacks with 10 and a half and has 15 and a half tackles for loss this year. So those are your first team selections on the defensive side. Offensively, Colin Klein, again, no shocker, your offensive player of the year is your first team quarterback. And then this one was a bit of a surprise that John Hubert, uh, again, statistically a fine season, comes up just shy of a thousand yards, but still earns the first team distinction there as, as a junior. And then going down the roster, uh, Travis Tanhill, first team at tight end, and then Cornelius Lucas uh, at uh, offensive tackle, uh, first team selection there. And then uh, briefly taking a look at the second team selections, uh, Chris Harper uh, earned second team honors as a uh, at wide receiver, Anthony Cantelli at place kicker, and then on the defensive side, Adam Davis and Violet Tui on the defensive line and rounding out the selections on the honorable mention front, Jarrell Childs at linebacker, Ryan Dort, punter, B.J. Finney, Tyler Lockett, again, that says that speaks volume about how deep the wide receiver position is in this conference where Tyler Lockett, a future NFL all pro caliber player is earning only honorable mention honors. Granted it is just his sophomore season, but still a pretty, pretty big surprise there. Jared Loomis as scholar athlete of the year, Tremaine Thompson as a kick and punt returner, and then Cody Whitehair on the offensive line. So uh, a terrific gr- collection uh, of personalities and a, a group that really was was locked in from day one. This was a a very entertaining team to watch week in and week out. And and one of those things we never really touched on is how much trust there was with Colin Klein to run the offense, to to have the autonomy to check and uh, check out a plays just based off of what he's seeing. Again, a great command of that offensive side of the ball. And then you have the quiet, but strong presence of Arthur Brown on the defensive side. It, It all culminates in a, in a terrific year that ends in 11 and two for Kansas state again, big 12 champions and uh, participants in the Fiesta bowl, a, a wonderful, again, I can't state it enough. Wonderful season, great team to watch. And looking back now, it's, it's one of those things. And Alex, you kind of touched on, I wish I had appreciated the moment more because the further we remove ourselves from that season, the more you realized how difficult it is, and particularly in a place like K-State and the state of Kansas just in general does not turn out a, a an immense amount of Division One talent to, to have a coach and a coaching staff and all this collection of athletes come together to, to produce a Big 12 championship season with wins over big name programs like Oklahoma, like Texas, like Miami, it really was special. And again, I think as fans, we, we should be very appreciative of those of us who had the chance to watch that team in person or from the friendly confines of your couch. It was a great, great year uh, that ends, like I said, with the big 12 championships. So that said, I think it's a good place to go ahead and wrap this one up. I, I think this team deserves to, to really stand on the mantle by itself. I, I don't want to, do the segment we normally do where we look and see, okay, who can we take off of this roster and put on the 21 roster and so forth. I think this team, like I said, deserves to be recognized in a tier above the rest of the uh, the squads that we're going to be looking at as we move through the 20, uh, the Snyder 2.0 retrospective. So with that said, we'll go ahead and re, uh, 
in this episode here on the 2012 Big 12 champion Cats. We'll look forward next to the 2013 installment. How is life after Colin Klein, the Jake Waters, Daniel Sams debate, the life after Arthur Brown on the defensive side. Again, plenty of fun narratives to, to discuss as we look forward to that next episode. If you've stuck with us this long, again, as always, we, we can't tell you how much we appreciate you uh, being with us for listening, downloading, whatever platform you use. We greatly appreciate it. Do give us a follow on Twitter. If you haven't already, it's college underscore Kimball. If you want to follow us individually, you'll find all of our handles linked out on that Twitter page. Uh, if you want to rate and review our podcast, please again, feel free to do so. Five star if you'd like. Uh, we, we don't like to think of ourselves as tryhards. We like to think of ourselves as blue chips here. So please give us that five star rating. And with that said, we'll, we'll cap it as we always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know. Yeah.